0: When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that at any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge, be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. And we are live. Welcome everyone to another episode of Insight Live. I'm here with my Friend and partner in crime, Brendan Kumarasamy, otherwise known as Brendan K from Master Talk, he is ready to talk about the one, the only Elon Musk, as am I. So let's dive in. This has got to be like a five-part series because there's just no way we can get everything out. We're going to be talking about him. When I say we, humanity, will be talking about him for centuries. I think of all the people living right now, the one person more than any other that I could think of that is going to and already has made his mark on humanity. I can't put anyone above him. I literally cannot think of anyone above him. And provided he stays healthy and continues on the path that he's on, I don't think we've seen even a fraction of what he's capable of. And so that's the mind blowing thing about him. So let's start with what are the things that, you know, as you think about him, what are the things that make him unique? Because I'm always a fan of dissecting what are those components of another human that stand out that is the it factor, the secret sauce. What are the unique Elon Musk factors that have attributed that one could attribute to his success.
1: I mean, let's start there. I feel, Billy, what you said there was a lot more important than what people like to think, is the scary part, I would argue, about Elon Musk, not even the exciting part, the scary part, is he knows that this is just a fraction of what he's actually achieved. And isn't that nuts? I mean, Jordan Peterson explains this so well. There's this guy who builds a car when it's impossible to build a car and make a company out of it. Then he builds a reusable, not a rocket, a reusable rocket, whatever, <laughs> like that's, re- and 10 times cheaper than what was already there. And he does that, and he takes the car that he made on top of the rocket that he also made, and then brings it out to space, which is also impossible, and He just turned 50, so he's just still getting started. He's not like 85 years old. He's not dead or anything. He's still very much alive and is still working on other things. So just doing one of those things is already impossible, and he's done both and executed perfectly. I would argue on both. So lots to say about Mr. Elon Musk. He's definitely a big inspiration for the both of us, and I know you, amongst others, were very senior at one of his two organizations. And we can leave it there. But There's a lot of things that stand out to Elon. I would say the first one, and this is a principle that is associated to Elon, but not many people call out. Which is the fun one. Most of us's brains is wired for survival. All of us are. So survival means our brain is very archaic. It's ancestral. It's passed down from generation of generation of people before us who have survived. Right? But before then, it was yep. like running away from dinosaurs and all that so sort of crazy stuff. And today, it's a bit different. Life is a lot easier than it used to be. But the human condition, the human brain is always conditioned for survival. And a lot of people ask me, hey, Brendan, why don't people pursue their dreams? Why don't people do the riskier thing? And I'm sure you get that question a lot too. Why don't people, regardless of the fear of failure, regardless of what other people think, why do people not just go for it when it's not that hard to press record, when it's not that hard to just try something? And the answer is it's perfectly normal that most people don't because our brain is wired for survival. And what does that mean? That implies that our first gut reaction wherever we want to do something new is to not do it because we want to fit in. Because the best way to survive, the best way to live a long life, which is what our brain is optimized for, not happiness, is to cooperate. And Mm -hmm. frankly, cooperate exactly to the T on what we want. That means, Billy, and I want you to follow these because you better follow these instruction manuals or you won't cooperate. Number one, you need to get a good education. Number two, you need to get good grades in school. Number three, you need to get married, have two and a half kids, have a white picket fence, two cars, not one car, and you want to follow all those rules. And you got to mortgage your house and spend $50,000 on a wedding. These are the rules that we have set in society, and most people don't question them. Whereas Elon Musk is the antithesis of that idea. He has $200 million in his bank account after he exits PayPal. We'll get to the story from the beginning. He has all this money and what does he do? He goes broke trying to create a reusable rocket and a car company since Chrysler. And he does all these crazy things. He makes all these decisions that are completely anti-survival. So I honestly think his brain is just wired differently than all of us. Let's start there.
0: So is his brain actually wired? Obviously, I think you're not saying literally, but what is the cause of that is, is what I'm wondering. But before you answer that, a couple things that you said there really stand out, which is this idea that I think, generally speaking, we are hardwired to conform, to fit whatever it is the mold is that we are expected to fit into. And we go about life playing it safe, not taking a risk. And that is a key point. I don't want to leave that because you said it so quickly. He is the quintessential risk taker. And if you look at everything that he's done throughout his career, he's taken some massive risks. And I think that is a key when we talk about secrets to Success, you cannot emphasize enough how vital his ability to take, and they may be calculated, but take risks. So I think that's a really important point. So going back to what you said, what is the reason or how do you think he has developed an ability to not listen to what he's told to do, but instead blaze his own trail, make his own path? Because so many of us are timid or afraid to do what we maybe feel that we could do, but something is making us feel a little bit of apprehension, and therefore we don't actually try. We don't press record. We don't press the damn button, as our friend Brian Fanzo would say.
1: You know, it's a fascinating thing, Billy. You know, as we're thinking about Elon, I have some controversial opinions about him because I think in some ways, and by the way, he's one of my heroes. I I greatly respect the man. But I also think in some ways, not to everybody, But for some, he's also a terrible role model. And what I mean by that is the average human being, whenever they look at someone like Elon Musk, they go, whoa, I'm super intimidated by that. Even people who take a lot of risk, I mean, me and you took risk. I quit my day job to pursue what I do and what I love full time. It's not super, super risky like building a rocket and shooting into outer space with the car that I also built, right? It's not that type of risk. Same thing with you. I mean, you quit your job at Tesla, right, to pursue this and you had a lot more to lose than I did. But even then, even despite that, even despite the respect I have for the risk that you took and the respect for the risk I took, it's not even remotely close to the risk that Elon took. So why am I saying that? Am I saying that because Elon is a bad example for all his Absolutely not. I just think he's accomplishments scare a lot of people. And I think that's what you do a good job here. So let's bring this down to ground zero. How do I think someone like Elon, at the beginning of his journey, not where he is today, when he's 10 years old, he's 15 years old, he's 20 years old, before he sold Zip2 to Compaq, what does that Elon Musk look like? And how did he develop the confidence over time? Because he still has the same brain that all of us have, allegedly. So let's go with that. Let's go with that (laughs) that assumption. So I think the best way to answer this question, Billy, and I'd love your perspective here as well and your thoughts. But for me, how I operate and how I got into that space, but definitely not as nowhere near as close as Elon, is I started celebrating the wins whenever I believe something controversial. So when Elon was much younger, it was probably around you know some ideas he ran on sci-fi. It was probably smaller things about life that he started to question and ended up being right. So as those wins start to slowly accumulate, I'm not saying right on rocket ships here. I'm talking about something really small. Like I'll give you something really ridiculous. Like why do we need to buy a car if we can just use public transit? Why does everyone want to buy a BMW if BMWs just cost a lot more to repair when you could just have a reliable Toyota? Right? It's a simple example. But those little wins start to stack. Religion's another good example. And not not. Afford- or against religion, but when you have different opinions on things and you start to realize that there's no one right answer to anything, those small wins eventually accelerate. And for people like Seth Godin, and I even put Seth Godin in this category, who are extremely controversial, those wins start to stack up so much that you end up believing that, wait a second, the only thing that matters is what I think of it after I develop some critical thinking skills. And I think Elon is just an extreme version of that. Me and you are more simple versions of that where we kind of just said, oh, I should probably make like YouTube videos on public speaking because no one else is and you probably said oh maybe i can do something around podcasting and media because i'm success with that but somebody like elon takes that to the extreme there's like a thousand there's two thousand there's probably ten thousand if i'm being honest across his whole life of things where he's like this isn't true and he ended up being right so it's that confidence that's built from that but it requires questioning curiosity and the willingness to try out ideas to figure out if they're right or not regardless of what society thinks of them
0: I'm glad you used the word curiosity. The one thing that I think of all the things that impressed me the most having worked at Tesla and having some exposure to him being on calls for those who don't know my story. I left Tesla in 2019. I was the head of global sales training at the time. Prior to that, I was head of global onboarding. So my team trained any new person that started at Tesla and the onboarding function. And then anybody that talked to somebody in a showroom or at their house, if we were helping them with solar, my team trained those people. Basically anyone interfacing with the customer my team, train them. And so with that role, obviously I had the opportunity to not only hear him firsthand, but also secondhand. So I did have limited interactions being on some conference calls where I got to observe how he Asked questions. And this really impressed me because he was deeply curious and he would be very specific and tactical about the questions he asked. Now, I will say that, you know, let's be honest, it's Elon Musk. So everyone's pretty scared of him. Okay. No doubt about it. He's a celebrity, but he's also an. Icon, he's a visionary, all these things rolled into one. And I'm not gonna lie, at the time I was at Tesla, it was a very pivotal point. It was a make it or break it moment for the company. And even though there was always buzz, and you know, this is the time where he made a prediction or we t- said he was gonna take the company private at $420. He goes on Joe Rogan, smokes a joint. It was a rocky time. I'm not gonna lie. But when I got on a conference call and I got a chance to hear him ask questions to our our delivery team it was very clear to me that he has a deep curiosity to understand to get to the bottom of it and one of the things that was very very clear is that you do not tell Elon no let me repeat that you do not tell Elon no I don't think he understands no Because there's always a way. The only reason you can't do something is if the law of physics will prevent you from doing it. Which goes into a whole other part, which we'll get into in a little bit, which is first principles thinking. But the point I'm trying to make here is if anybody wants to say, okay, how can I learn from Elon? I think the thing that I really appreciate more than anything is that despite him being insanely intelligent, I would argue one of the smartest people living today, he really is that bright. And he's just... Unlike most people, he not only retains information, but he's a problem solver, he's an engineer, and he's just all rolled into one. But he solves problems very, very quickly because he quickly asks the right questions to get to the root so that it can be solved, so that the problems or perceived problems that exist... Can be eliminated as quickly as possible, which is why you would not want to tell him, Oh, I can't find parking for the vehicles in this area because it's too crowded. That to him, which by the way, it happened where somebody said that it did not go well. And the point I'm trying to make is that you and anyone really who's running a company, you owe it to yourselves to ask the right questions of your staff to make sure that you can give them the things they need to do their job most effectively. And so, with that, I want to get your thoughts on this idea of being inquisitive and how you think that's helped propel him, helped his businesses. And then I do want to go back. We kind of got right into the thick of things, but I want to tell his story and I want you to, to do that as much as you can and I'll pepper in any details. You're a master at, at painting the picture of how people got started. So let's do two parts. One, what are your thoughts on curiosity? And two, let's go back in time and talk about his story.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think curiosity is such an important piece to your point, Billy, around how we can ask better questions, regardless of how smart we think we are, because there's always something we don't know. There's always a piece of information we have yet to get. There's always an idea that we need to receive to make ourselves warned about the decisions that we make on a day to day. But the more important part beyond curiosity for people who really want to take that step into being Elon Musk, the first step, I don't think is curiosity. I think curiosity is the second step. The first step is the willingness to just question, the willingness to be controversial, the willingness to think differently from the people around you. Because if you just follow everybody and you do the exact same thing, you'll get the same result, which is zero innovation, nothing cutting edge, nothing unique, nothing original. So if you want to be like Elon, that's the first step is to unwire, hypothetically, of course, right, not actually rewiring your brain through a surgery, but more mentally and acknowledging that the brain is not optimized for innovation. The brain mm. is not optimized for creativity. The brain is only optimized to keep you alive for as long as possible so that you can procreate and survive your generations. That's it. That's the purpose of the brain. So for you, you need to first acknowledge that point and fight against it every single day for the rest of your life. And that's the first step. And then the second step is curiosity. And there's a bunch of others.
0: Yeah. Well, I would say that conventional wisdom that most people default to, he is not ever going to allow that to be the reason why you can't do something or why you're prevented from achieving the desired outcome. And he has incredibly high standards. I know, just a quick anecdote here, when we were at Solar City, I know that we were working on the solar roof and he saw the first prototype and said, this is nowhere near where it needs to be, which is why we had to keep iterating to the point where we got the solar roof that exists today or that should be out more and more. And that is a beautiful, sleek, unlike any other roof ever created, And that's a real world example of him not settling, him asking questions. Why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? And I like the way you said, it's question. You're questioning people, almost like putting them on the spot to give an answer that will be one that he will accept. And most people, because we're hardwired to do it this way, is we're going to go with what the conventional wisdom is. And so I think that's a really, really sound point. Go ahead, finish your thought.
1: Absolutely brother. And to keep this simple for the audience, we're, you know, me and Billy aren't asking you to go build a rocket ship. We're not asking you to go build solar panels. We're not asking you to start a car company. But what we are asking you to do is to do that for your own point of view. You know, great example I always like to name. Let's say you're a bank executive right now, right? LinkedIn community. You're vice president of bank. And you're just looking at your life and saying, you know what? Everybody loves my cupcakes. Every single person that has tried my cupcakes has said, these are the best freaking cupcakes I've had in my life. There's nobody in this city who makes better cupcakes. So much so that your family, your friends, your cousins, your uncles are like, if you made cupcakes, I would pay for you. Here's money right now. You have $500 right here in your pocket of sales that you made without even making the cupcakes. Most people look at that situation and say the following. Well, I'm a vice president of bank. I make quarter of a million dollars salary with 50% bonus, 100% bonus, half a million dollar upside. So I'm just going to do that. Whereas a very small percentage, let's say 3% as a number, might just ponder the idea. Huh, what if I start a cupcake business? And 0.3% of those 3% will actually do it. So why is there such a difference in my numbers? The reason there's such a difference between, let's say, I don't know, 1% and 0.1%, pick anything. The difference is because the 3% who are thinking about it, they end up not doing it because they go, well, what will people around me think of me if I start making cupcakes? I'm a bank executive. Who am I? I Start making cupcakes. What will I be perceived as? Whereas the 0.3%, I would argue probably a lot less than that, will go, eh, what's the harm? Might as well just make some cupcakes, see what happens. And then one of those people might actually build a huge cupcake empire and take it seriously and actually be a lot happier making those cupcakes than be a bank executive.
0: (laughs) Here we go. Talking about cupcakes and Robin. I'm going to want to go get a donut after this. Okay. So let's go back in time. Okay. A kid from South Africa, smart kid, interested in computers, interested in gaming, invents a game at a young age. Walk us through the step-by-step. Starts, ends up you know, immigrating obviously to Canada and to tell us the story, walk us through that.
1: You're like, daddy, Brendan, walk us through the story of, uh, of Elon Musk. Absolutely. So Elon Musk's journey starts in South Africa, right? That's where he was born. His dad wasn't very present in his childhood. it's was very abusive. And his mother was a model. She was a supermodel. And that's how they, they connected and how Elon was born. And, To be honest, he didn't have that great of a childhood. You know, most of his time was spent reading books with his brother, Kimball. I believe he had another sibling as well. And he would just spend a lot of time reading books. He wasn't very extroverted. And he realized around the age of five or six in the stories that he tells that he was very different than most of the kids in the playground because he always was thinking about new ideas that were a bit crazy and everyone thought he was just nuts. It's like, what is Elon thinking? What is this kid doing? And he realized at a very young age that he was very different than most human beings, but he kept following that curiosity. And let's skip a little bit ahead. When he was 10, 11, he started reading these Isaac Asimov's books on science fiction. Isaac Asimov is one of the best science fiction writers of all time. Think Stephen King, but for sci-fi. And he read those books because he was really socially secluded. He didn't really talk to that many people. And through those books, he got super passionate about space, space travel. And it was at that age, actually, that he realized he wanted to go to space and to go to Mars someday. That's actually where he developed the first idea for that when he was around 12 years old. And then after when he was around 15 to 17, don't quote me on the exact age, he left his family to go to Canada to study at Queen's University, all places, in Canada to study to get a degree. And then he moved to the States and had the idea for Zip2, where Zip2, this was in the mid-90s during the dot-com rise. And Zip2 at this point, he was around eh, 17, 19 years old and he started with his brother Kimball. And the idea behind Zip2 was how do we reinvent the way that we think about the financial business from a transaction perspective? So he started coding a lot of finance tools for for different companies, start credit agency, I believe, and I don't know the exact details about Zip Two, but basically what happened is they sold to Compact, and that's what his first exit was at the age of twenty to twenty one.
0: And I think Zip Two was had to do with regional components. I don't know the entire story, so maybe we we'll probably get our get our facts straight a little bit on that because I know. Oh,
1: I got it now. Obviously,
0: with PayPal, that was more of the financial side. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, I got it. Thanks for that. So disregard what I said earlier. So essentially, what what I was referring to just a bit earlier was when he started PayPal. Before that, with Zip2, it was essentially a company that provided licenses to newspapers for online city guide software. That's what it was. And he started with his, he started the company with his brother, Kimball. And he started getting local businesses in, to create presents in newspapers online, like city guides and whatnot. And that's what ended up selling to Compaq. So it was a fascinating idea. Think of it like a pre-Yelp.
0: Yep. Yeah. And and that's what I mean. So it's because it was so early on before we had all the things that we now take for granted. He was frankly on the cutting edge, helping, as you put it, local businesses, which is why the zip, zip code almost like in the different regions, giving them a little bit more visibility. And clearly that was successful, but that was just the beginning. All of these things are like stepping stones. So the next stepping stone was PayPal, pretty big stepping stone. How did he get involved with PayPal?
1: Absolutely. So the other point I want to mention before we get into PayPal is remember that his end game is Mars from the beginning, right? His end game is Mars. But Elon realized early, and he says this after he exited PayPal in an interview, he didn't realize how expensive the rockets were to actually get to space. He never really wanted to start a space company until he realized how crazy the market was, but we'll get there a bit later. But the goal is always space. So he gets to PayPal and there's two companies, Cofinity and X.com. And the other company was led by a guy named Peter Thiel, who's the author of the book Zero to One and one of my heroes. And him and Elon used to hate each other. So there were two companies and they would all fight each other all the time. And the idea behind PayPal initially wasn't even about emailing money. It was how do we create a decentralized currency which is what Bitcoin is today. That's what they were trying to create early. That was the idea that both of these gentlemen had is they initially created their team to try and create money that wasn't centralized by governments. That was the initial idea and then it transformed into PayPal because they realized that because of broadband speeds increases and the creation and evolution of email that it became a lot easier to send money online. The technology was ready for that and they pivoted to that, which ended up obviously being what we know today. But at the time, Billy, a lot of these companies, especially those two in particular they hated each other their teams hate, didn't like each other but they both were smart enough to realize both peter and elon and the late 1999s early 2000s that this crazy um, dot-com bubble was going to end at some point so they ended up merging companies they created paypal together elon became the president of the company and peter became the ceo and the dot-com bubble burst and they almost died but because they merged they survived and ended up selling to ebay a few years later for a billion and change
0: Yep. And obviously when you're that age, there's clearly a lot that can be gained from having the resources to apply that into other businesses. When you have an exit billion dollar company, you now have some money. Now, the thing about it is even though he had a lot of money, what his vision was, was massive. To your point, Mars was on his mind from childhood and everything's a stepping stone to that. And so clearly Tesla comes into the mix which a lot of people think that he founded Tesla, but actually he didn't. And so he ended up finding this car manufacturer and that's what ended up becoming Tesla. So tell us a little bit about why he decided to do that. And then obviously SpaceX comes into the fold as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one interesting thing that how many people comment on in Elon's story that I'll do for this conversation's sake, since we're fun on the details, it was the biggest difference between Zip2 and PayPal. The biggest difference between Zip2 and PayPal was the team. Because at Zip2, the team is relatively small. It was him, Kimball, some guy named Craig, and then they kind of scaled it up to a few employees and then they sold to Compact for a few million what the acquisition price was. But at PayPal, it was actually very different because after they merged, the people on their team were absolutely world-class. We're talking David Sachs, who's one of the best COOs in the Valley currently, right? He went on to start Yammer and then sold to Microsoft for a billion and change as well. And he has his own VC firm. Peter as well went on to start Palantir, etc. So a lot of these people ended up being extremely successful. And what people don't understand is that piece of the puzzle was really important to the next chapter of Elon's story. Because when he went to start his other companies, this time he had a network. A network of people that he knew, liked, and trusted who were pretty much the kings of the valley. So whenever he needed money, whenever he needed help, whenever he needed resources, he could call these people. And this was a unique advantage that Elon had that most founders in the valley didn't have not many people had those types of exits with where the concentration of talent was so high in the employee base. Because all of those people, almost all of them, PayPal is a very unique case, almost all of them went to start Unicorns, which is absolutely crazy. And for those who know Unicorns is a company with a billion dollar valuation or more. So all these people have super deep pockets. So Peter Thiel was one of the first investors in Tesla and SpaceX, as are many other people in the so-called PayPal mafia. So it's important to think about that networking piece as well. So basically what I'm trying to say here, Billy, is a lot of these pieces were really starting to add together. One piece led to the next. And after he exited PayPal, I believe he got around 200 and 250 million dollars in cash and stock after he exited PayPal. And through that money, he had two specific ideas. One was around solving climate change, which he thought was an incredibly important problem at the time after listening to Al Gore's thing, And the other piece was around the SpaceX, right? He wanted to go to space, but not necessarily start a space company. The initial idea with SpaceX is he wanted to use a lot of the money that he had raised to just launch a rocket into space. That was the idea initially so that he could inspire humanity to say, hey, you know, we haven't landed on the moon since the 1960s. Let's do something. Let's get our stuff together. He didn't really want to start a company there. What happened with SpaceX was when he went to NASA and when he went to some Russian agency, went to, he flew out to Russia and he went to go talk to people, he realized the cost of making a rocket was like crazy. It was <laughs> absolutely nuts. He was like, wait a second. It was like, wait, $100 million, something nuts or something. And then what, after he started talking to NASA engineers, NASA engineers, they all told him, yeah, this is what the cost is. And this is the physics involved with it. And we don't think it's possible to do anything better. And that's what really fed the idea for SpaceX.
0: Because Someone told him no. Yeah, somebody told him no. It's like, this is this is a theme, right? right? People keep telling him no. And he says, I don't believe you. And by the way, for those wondering, $307 million Zip2 was sold for. So not too shabby for, <laughs> for a company. As I said, he also sold, I believe he sold the video game he created as a kid too. Okay, so now he's told by NASA and he's told you know basically he's told that it's going to be real expensive to do what you want to do
1: correct and just the other point as well for Zip2 so they did sell for 300 but Elon netted 22 so he right. netted
0: 22 million his brother netted
1: 19 or something else look at the Wikipedia page but yeah absolutely and this is another important piece about Elon's Thing. You know, going back to the earlier conversation we had around being controversial. Man, is that something to be controversial about? If a NASA engineer told me that's the cost, <laughs> i it, I'd be like, okay, buddy, I'm good. Thank you so much. I appreciate walk away. But it takes someone like Elon to be as smart as he is and as controversial and as curious and as thoughtful to go, wait a second, that's not true. So there's a lot of things Brendan says isn't true. Oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't spend that much money on weddings, Billy. Maybe we can stay at our mom's house for a bit longer, save some money, and have a better financial future. Brenda doesn't have too many opinions on rocket ships, on uh, how much they cost, and the physics behind that. So it's fascinating to see someone like Elon not just disagree, but disagree in such a direct way. Like, it's so obvious in my head that this NASA engineer, who's obviously has a PhD, is super intelligent, impossible to get in this organization. this guy's flat out wrong. This gal is flat out wrong. That's guts. That's gutsy, and also, he looked at the science, and he knew that it wasn't true, and that's what fueled the idea for SpaceX. For Tesla, it wasn't necessarily around his passion for cars, based on my understanding of the story, though you might have a different view on this, but based on my understanding of the story, it was climate change was really the focus for what he wanted to solve, and Tesla just ended up being a byproduct of that when he was pitched the idea, because a lot of our CO2 emissions come from cars. So if he led the movement for electric cars, and of course, we see that a lot, because Because he didn't just do that with cars, he also did that with Solar City later on. So the focus for him has never really been to build this sexy car. It was around how do we solve climate change? And it ended up being cars and electrifying that industry. And also taking the non-renewable energy sources that fuel our homes through solar panels. So those are how that mission, that vision was expressed in 2KERAs. And that's what led to both of those companies.
0: Right, and I'm glad you used the word mission because that's exactly what I was thinking of. It's the mission of Tesla is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. It's not to, we want to create the sexiest car on planet Earth. But in order to serve that mission, he knew he needed to create the sexiest car on planet Earth. And if you've seen the video of him when he was really young getting a McLaren, clearly he likes cars. He likes awesome cars. And I know it was a big deal to get that car. You've seen that video? Yeah. Yeah. So here he is. His mission will get served if he can put together a plan to serve that mission. And so if you've ever read the master plan that he put out, which was very early on as he was starting Tesla, it's it starts with start a create a sports car that people want to buy and you could read I'm not reading it word for word, but create a sports car that'll be expensive and that very few people will buy, but that will help to fund the what ended up being the Model S, which is a midsize sedan that is still very sexy and, and not cheap, but not as expensive as the Roadster, right? So he created the Roadster. And by the way, the Roadster is just the same body type as the Lotus. And yeah, I've ridden in one and they are uh, fantastic machines, but they're basically handmade sports cars, okay? And so, and there's not very many of them. There's very, very few of them. And so obviously we go into a mass production of the Model S, which is. You're going to get a lot more people, which ultimately leads and gives the money to fund producing the Model 3. And now there's Model Y. There's obviously the Cybertruck coming out. There's the new version of the Roadster, which looks absolutely extraordinary, semi truck, and obviously Solar, which is a whole nother story, by the way. His cousins started Solar City because they had a conversation. About it on the way back from Burning Man. That's the reason Solar City started. And so when you think about the fact that all of these things are there for one primary purpose, which is to fight climate change through finding ways to live sustainably on renewable resources, renewable energy sources. And so everything is geared towards serving that mission. And the reason why he went with cars is let's be honest, cars are way sexier than energy. So he didn't choose to do the energy himself. I mean, the solar roof looks amazing, but I could take it for me as I having sold many millions of dollars with the solar myself. I mean, it's cool to go solar, but it's not nearly as sexy as a Model X, a Model S, a Model 3, or any of the vehicles for that matter. They're so cool. And so he knows that the mission that he has needs to be served through the channel that he decided, which is vehicles. And so the thing that is really fascinating is even though he has money, he's not doing this for the money. I mean, the guy's one of the richest people on planet Earth at this point, but money is not his motivator. I mean, don't get me wrong, he, clearly he's got family, five kids, and multiple wives that he's had throughout the years, and you know he needs to have money to live in a nice way, and I'm sure he likes the, the nice things in life, but that's not his motivator. What do you think his motivator is, Brendan?
1: Honestly, the only motivator I can think of when I think of Elon Musk is to advance the human race. What he realized, which is the most important piece, is that we need to become a multi-planetary species. Because the sun will explode at some point. It's going to be in a very long time. We're talking about a few billion years at this point. But it's going to happen. And when that happens, well, we're done. We're cooked. It's game over. So Elon is preparing for that future today. So despite all the criticism he gets, I really think his end game is really just to advance humanity. That's his focus. That's what it's always been. Or else, why would he work 100? 100... I mean, he works himself to death. We both know it. He works like 120 hours yeah. a week all the time, consistently. I think he took one week off to do SNL Saturday Night Live, for those who are wondering, that is. (laughs) But other than that, like, he's just on the go. He's 24-7. He's always working. And I think what we can learn from that in this journey of Elon Musk is a couple of things that stand out to me. Number one, and Steve Jobs says it best, you can only connect the dots backwards, not forwards. So the key is you don't really know how to get to space. You don't really know how to get to Mars at the beginning of that journey. But because you know that's the North Star, you figure out what are the missing pieces to get to that North Star. But most people don't have a North Star, Billy. So that's the piece where I would start the conversation after we get over the fear, after we're willing to take more risk, after we're willing to be more curious, is to figure out a North Star for ourselves. So for Elon, and I would argue Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson, all three of these fine young gentlemen had the same North Star. They all wanted to go to space. It's just the vehicle and how they all got there was completely different. Jeff started an internet company called Amazon that we all know, which ended up being a bookstore and now they're the everything store. And he used the capital to fund Blue Origin, which is his space company. Richard Branson started the Virgin Group, started a bunch of different companies in different industries. He had a record company and then like an actual, do people know what a vinyl record is? You know, it's like a, <laughs> he had like a music label and then after he did an airplane thing, airlines, and then he used the money from those different entities and holdings to then fund what he did, which is Virgin Galactic. And what Elon did was different too. Same North Star, or maybe Branson and Jeff Bezos don't want to go to Mars, but you get, it. I think I actually think they do, but I think Jeff does. But anyways, let's go back to the topic. But the vehicle and how Elon got there was different. He didn't start an e-commerce company. He didn't start an airplane company, he started a financial services company, an online business ads company for newspapers, Zip2. And then after that he started a car company and he started a space company and that's how he created the wealth to then go to space. So super fascinating, right? But there's something we can learn there. We don't know what the path is going to be, but getting really clear what the North star is will help us. Here's an easier example that people can relate to. For us, Billy, over the past year, it was Clubhouse. We didn't know Clubhouse was going to show up. We didn't know the opportunity that Clubhouse presented, but we both knew that, hey, we want to create more reach, we want to make more impact, we want to get more clients. We don't know how to get there, but we know that's our North Star. So then we're going to try different things to get there. And, and the reason I mentioned this example is to bring it down to earth, because a lot of you are probably listening to this and saying, well, uh, I'm not going to start a big company. I'm not going to start a. But we can apply that even in the smallest idea. Where it's like, we tried Clubhouse, we're like, oh, this is actually a really interesting idea. And that actually ended up being the catapult, the catalyst that we never would have thought of, that never would have existed, that we never would have guessed at the beginning when we started crafting the plan. But the North Star is everything.
0: And we've talked about this theme before, because to your point, if you need and want to think big, you need to know your vision so that you could reverse engineer your way to get there. And even though you may not know all the steps and the steps might change, if you know where you're going, then you know that you have to constantly be figuring out the steps you need to take to get there. And part of that for him, and you just highlighted this, is his work ethic, which very, very few people, and trust me, I've seen it firsthand, have the work ethic that he has. I don't think there might not be anybody. So why do you think he has that level of? of commitment to what he's doing and to your point also I think you said you know he's working himself to death there's some risks there let's be real about this so for someone so smart why do you think he works so damn hard potentially at his own risk
1: It's a fascinating question. The way I see it, I mean, let's start with some assumptions. We know Elon is one of the smartest human beings, if not the smartest human being in the world. So given that assumption, he knows full well the consequences of sleeping four to five hours a day on his health. So the way I see it from his perspective, if I was him right now and I was thinking through it, he doesn't seem to have any other option because it's impossible to find, or maybe that's a limiting belief, but if I'm being honest, it's probably true, really hard to find a replacement for either of those companies as CEO, whether it's Tesla or that SpaceX Tesla, because there's no other executive in the world who has ever created a successful automobile company in the last, what, 100 years? He's the guy. 50 50 plus years. Right, 50 plus years. So if he hired some dude or some gal from some other car company, Tesla would go bust. And I know that for sure. I'm pretty confident it would. And Elon knows that better than probably I do for sure. SpaceX, I mean, forget about it. What are you going to do? Like, find... he has executives at SpaceX, right? People who are really smart, who are space engineers, who know their stuff.
0: But to actually... Oh, yeah. His right-hand person is a well, woman who's bad uh, ass I proc- at SpaceX. Yeah, I she's, forgot her name. She's legit. She is so legit. I don't remember her name either, but I, I had the good fortune of visiting SpaceX a couple of times and... Yeah, it was when I was studying up on it, I was reading about her and she's, uh, I think she is, if he could count on anybody, he could count on her. But to your point, he still needs to be involved. And that's his baby. He wants to be involved. I mean, if he could do anything, it would be work on SpaceX. I mean, Tesla, he does not like. The reality is Tesla is a necessary part of what he's doing from a standpoint of it's too big to fail, too much invested, and it serves the mission. Until we are an interplanetary species, we got what we got here on planet Earth. We better make sure we're doing everything we can to keep this planet as long as we can. And so he's diversifying what he's working on so that on one hand, he's helping us get to this big, big picture goal. On the other hand, he's not forgetting about what's important here on home base. So, but yeah, go ahead. You were saying that with SpaceX and with Tesla, he can't leave.
1: Absolutely. And the president, Gwen Stockwell. Yeah, I was listening to her TED Talks a long time ago. Yeah, super bright. But yeah, he can't leave. And the challenge with Elon, and it's super fascinating, you don't see a lot of executives at that level do that, is he's CEO of two companies. The only other example I've seen of this working, and it doesn't even work that well, is Jack Dorsey. So he's the CEO of Twitter and Square. But Square is doing really well. Twitter is kind of so-so. Uh, not so great whereas Elon's actually the CEO of both of these organizations and they're both uber successful. So given that right, we can see, just mathematically every great CEO is generally the CEO of just one company so Zox is just focused on Facebook, even if Facebook is pretty much a holding company now for other social media and upcoming social media platforms Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, just focused on Apple. He's only focused on one thing, whereas because Elon is focused on two, he needs to split his time between Tesla and and SpaceX, and don't even get me started on the 17 other things that are running. I,
0: I was just going to say, right. man, there's Boring Company, there's Neuralink. Yeah, I mean, it's the, crazy. the list goes on and on. But yeah, I mean, obviously SpaceX and Tesla, the two big juggernauts there. Absolutely. So to answer
1: your question, man, I think the reason why he's working himself to death is he realized time is the most valuable asset he has. He doesn't know how much time he has left. So the only thing left to do is to maximize it and hope for the best. And he said this multiple times. He said, if I worked an hour less or 10 hours less than I did over those years, both companies would have failed.
0: Right? Yeah, so. I think he believes it. And he might be right.
1: I believe it too. He might to be, be right.
0: Okay, so let's talk. We're going to go for a couple more minutes here and then we'll do a part do because he has do. the master plan. Do. Do. He's got the master plan part do. And... Uh, Okay, so he has a lot of critics, a lot of people who have shorted the Tesla stock, a lot of people. They all lost a lot of money too. Not fit to lead, blah, blah, blah. But it's like the guy has this, he just keeps winning. He keeps winning. And one of the reasons I believe that he keeps winning is he's got this idea known as first principles thinking. And the whole premise behind this idea, it really dovetails nicely from everything else that we've said, which is, don't just believe what is. And when I say that, what I mean is, Just because a car is a certain way, doesn't mean it should be that way. Or just because things have been done a certain way, doesn't mean that it should be done that way. And the idea behind this first principles thinking is we should not reason by analogy. Meaning we shouldn't compare whatever it is we're doing to other things. Instead, we should boil things down to their fundamental truths. And by doing that, the only thing that really we should consider are the laws of physics or anything that we know we have zero control over. And there's very few things that we have zero control over. And so therefore, whenever we're building anything, whether that be a vehicle, a rocket ship, or a widget, if you're a business owner and you're building something from scratch, don't just look at what others are doing and iterate from there and make modest incremental improvements, as opposed to, instead, what he suggests is, what if this didn't exist at all? How would we build it? And that approach... That type of thinking is the reason that when you get in a Tesla, it feels like no other car that you've ever been in. And it has the type of experience that people want to tell their friends about. Tesla does not advertise. I mean, the only advertising is Elon getting more press. That's advertising, I guess. But point being is that Tesla does not need to advertise because when I got my Model X, guess what? Yeah, I showed it off to my friends. We took it in ludicrous mode and we had their freaking cheeks going back to our ears when we're going as fast as we can go and doing other fun things like the whoopee cushion when I press the horn or random things. I could play chess with my son. These things don't exist on other cars. I could have my car do a whole dance at Christmas time. And so all of these things are just not on other cars. And the reason is he used first principles thinking. So what are your thoughts? I wonder like before him, who talked about this? Do you know?
1: I mean, first principles thinking is a fascinating concept. I, I don't think Elon pioneered it, but mm-hmm. I definitely think he's the one. I actually don't even think it's Elon who did
0: it. Popularized it.
1: Maybe. Yeah, popularized is the right term. I actually don't even think it's him. It's a guy named Tim Urban who followed Elon. Elon was never really good at explaining first principles thinking because let's face it, he's not the best communicator on the planet.
0: He's not the best person. He pers- needs Brendan. He needs the, <laughs> the best Communication coach uh, on planet Earth, uh, Brendan K. Oh,
1: you're too kind. You're too kind. Maybe one day. Maybe. I don't think he has any time, though, unfortunately. He's pretty booked. But uh, focusing on the piece, though, around first principles thinking, Tim Urban, I believe, is actually the person who per- popularized it. He's the founder of a blog named Wait But Why. And Elon Musk is actually an avid reader of his blog. And he called him up and said, hey, Tim, I'd love for you to follow me around and explain what I do in writing. And Tim was like, is this a prank call? <laughs> and it actually was somebody from Elon Musk's team he got to meet Elon and it was a very, very successful blog series. He does it so well. Here's the way I put it, because I always like to do the layman's term for first principles. Because we look at Elon applying this to spaceships and cars and we're like, we can't apply this in our lives. This is not going to help us. Here's a simple example. Okay, that's really stupid simple that I've applied it in my life. You know, a lot of people told me to move out of my mom's house. A lot of people did. Growing up as a kid, they were like, you know, after you finish university, Brenda, you should go move in your own place, do your own laundry, do your own cooking, live alone. And I always wondered why people would say that. I was like, okay, so you want to leave, you want me to leave my mom that I deeply love so that she can be alone in her house and I could be alone in a separate house somewhere else. And then I talk to her once a month or I could just see her every day and split the rent and live a more humble lifestyle and have more money saved up in the bank. Which one makes more sense? So that is just a simple idea. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong, but just the fact that we think about that, that I just question it and say, does it make sense for me to move out of my parents' basement right now? Just for my own ego to show my friends that I have my own place and to gloat about it? Or is it smarter for just to focus on the things that I love? This is a simple way to apply first principles thinking, which is this. Instead of figuring out or believing what other people think is true, ask yourself what is actually true. What is actually factually true? And what is factually true in this mini example I just gave is, yeah, if I move out, my rent costs are going to double. My burn rate is going to double. Probably not a good decision. So how can we apply that in our lives? How we apply that in our lives is we look at the decisions that people make around us the decisions they make about their fitness, the decision they make about their kids, their families, the way they want to live their life. And we need to ask ourselves, is that the way we want to live our life? Here's another simple example. A lot of us are trying to retire at 65, but Steve Jobs died at 56. Kobe Bryant died at 42. So why are we saving up for retirement? Not to say we shouldn't save money, but just the fact that I'm asking the question is first principles thinking. It's about questioning societal norms and asking yourself what is actually true for us. And that's the way I would apply it in our day-to-day and eventually as you work your muscle at the beginning with these simple truths You'll eventually you might come to an idea like a Tesla or a SpaceX or a cupcake shop But the key is really to work that muscle one does not first come with the idea a Tesla when they wake up They build the muscle to question everything until an idea like Tesla hits them in the face
0: Question everything believe some things. And it's so true too, because I think ultimately going back to a lot of the themes that we've talked about today is that we go through life conforming and doing what we think other people want us to do. When I interviewed David Meltzer, this was a topic of conversation. Just because somebody is close to you doesn't mean they have good advice. Just because you love someone doesn't mean you should listen to them. And you need to listen to yourself and understand what is best for you as an individual. And you are the one that needs to answer that, no one else. And so I think that's a great analogy to use as we talk about this. Okay, so as we conclude, I have one more question and then we'll do a part of this. (laughs) And we'll go a bit deeper and we'll talk about some of the other components. If you could boil down, give us either two or three things that we haven't yet talked about that you think qualify as a secret to Elon's success. What is something that maybe others aren't talking about or maybe is very infrequently talked about when people think of Elon Musk that he does really, really well and is a factor and a big factor, hopefully, in his success? What do you got for me, man? I'm putting the pressure on you. I'm forcing you to think something that we haven't yet talked about. Hmm, I would say the
1: first one that people know but he doesn't get enough credit for is his ability to build world-class teams. He's absolutely exceptional, which is super interesting given how introverted he is in the front end and how he communicates. And this gives us an interesting thought, which is when you have the courage to be controversial, when you have the courage to lean in on what you believe, and when you have the courage to pursue it anyways, but there is a benefit to that despite all the disadvantages. And the biggest benefit is you attract some seriously interesting people, very bizarre, quirky people who are probably some of the smartest human beings. And the only way to access them is to be quirky yourself. So I would say the big thing that he's really good at, I mean, it speaks wonders to you. I mean, you worked there so many years and you're as world-class as they come, right? So that's the key, right? It's the ability for him to build world-class teams. I feel Elon does that extraordinarily well and not many people give him credit for it.
0: Okay. I want to hear your next one, but I'm going to, I'll match you here. Yeah. And I agree that one, his interviewing approach is very interesting If you get time to interview with Elon, A, you're a badass already. And B, don't assume it's going to be for the allotted amount of time. In fact, it's going to be 7 minutes, 8 minutes, 10 minutes, 22 minutes, however long it needs to be. And the other thing I know about Elon is he doesn't care about degrees. In fact, sometimes a degree is a bad thing. He's not a big fan of MBAs, believe it or not. And so (laughs) he does not like degrees and does not think it's necessary. He would much rather have experience and a work ethic and smart ideas and be the right person for the role as opposed to formal education. But that's not what I wanted to share. What I think is another key ingredient to his success is his, he is a perfectionist, we know that, but his design, his ability to get the right design, and I mentioned the example of the solar roof, but if you look at the vehicles, from a design standpoint, his standards are highest as you can imagine. And I think that's really, really important because if they weren't at the level that they're at, and this goes back to your point on the team, when you get somebody like Franz who heads up the design for all the vehicles, you get somebody who's world-class to do that, then they're gonna put out products that are at the level that you want. But he understands that in order to delight the customer, you need to have exceptional design. So I think when I interviewed Captain Hoff, who we had on the show recently, the first interview I had with him, we talked about this idea of when you build a world-class team, team, you need to find an exceptional designer. That right there is so important. And so and there's two parts to this. One is you either need to find a world-class designer or you yourself need to be a world-class designer. And for those who are maybe in the beginning parts of are trying to figure out what they want to do, there will always be room for exceptional designers. People who imagine the way things look, the way they appear. And Elon does believe and values very much the appearance of things. So I think that's a really important secret to success that I don't think is talked about enough. Go ahead. What's yours? What's your next one?
1: My other one is this idea of creating and delegating. So let's call it create and delegate. Elon has reached a point in his life now where he's still coming up with those ideas. Like, for example, when he gave away last year's around the idea of electric planes, that is definitely going to be a thing in our lifetime. Because these were non-renewable energy sources that planes are using, it's not going to be sustainable for the long term. But he said in that interview, I really want to work on this idea. I'm super excited about it and I literally can't cuz I'll die if I get another company going. So the idea of him creating more of them and just delegating it. Hey, I hope Billy works on this idea. I hope somebody else works on this idea. There's something Gary V does as well in on a miniature scale, but there's something we can learn from that as well. Is getting into the muscle of creating ideas and not seeing them as a scarcity. Oh, I need to keep all my ideas to myself, but adopting abundance mentality in how we share them. So when Eli shares these ideas with everybody, he is leading the example of, hey, let's be abundant here. And it's through that abundance that actually all the best ideas come forward and we figure out the ones we need to execute. And that's what I do a lot. Now when I have new ideas, because I'm busy building what I'm building, I delegate it. I go, hey, you guys should think about doing this idea, this idea. This could be super cool. This would be super interesting. And that also develops as well. So I think create and delegate is is a skill that Elon has. He's probably got another 30 ideas in his head that he still hasn't talked about yet, but he probably doesn't want to build companies on those. He's probably just going to share it openly and say, somebody figure it out because I don't have time anymore.
0: It's so true. And he would not be able to do the things that he's able to do if it weren't for the team around him. And frankly, that's true with any company that is changing the world like an Apple, like a Facebook, love them or hate them, like a Tesla, like an Amazon. These companies are not built by one human being alone, they're built by hundreds and thousands, in Amazon's case, millions of people. Okay, so this is a great segue to my next one, which it's very related to the idea of delegating, but it's time management in general. So how does one lead Two major companies, one public, one private, right? SpaceX is private and Tesla's public. And then several other companies. Well, his time is so choreographed. He knows on a certain day he's doing SpaceX work. On a certain day he's doing Tesla work. On a certain day he's here and there. I don't know his schedule currently, but I know that you know he was at Tesla on Wednesdays, for example. And also maybe he'll be at Gigafactory one day and he'll be in Hawthorne at SpaceX on another day. And so the point being is he knows where he's spending his time Exactly. And he doesn't waste time doing activities or tasks that he shouldn't be doing. And then to add on to that, he is going to immediately stop doing something that he doesn't need to be doing. And he suggests that anybody that works for him does the same thing. I'll give you two examples. One, I already mentioned the interview. So if the interview is done in his mind, he will end the interview instantly. Two, if he's in a meeting and he feels that the meeting is not productive or that he doesn't need to be there, it's done. Now, for him, most of his meetings are productive because they're very intentional. But what he suggests to somebody like, let's say me, you know, I'm an executive director or others is that if you're in meeting and you're not adding value or getting value from the meeting, you should leave. And so for anybody listening right now, obviously you got to take into account your own HR policies. You don't want to ruffle any feathers, but if you want to take a page out of Elon's playbook, don't spend time in meetings that aren't adding value or meetings that you're not giving value because it is a waste of time. So the only reason Elon is going to be able to achieve the things he's already achieved and will achieve is because he's not wasting his time. He's a very good time manager and managing the activities that he does because where he's spending his time, they're high value things that he and only he should be doing. What's your next one? I thought
1: there was only two. I had to give another one. <laughs> Let me think. Uh, we gotta
0: do, I, I don't know. Twos are kind of, we'll do three. Come on, one more each and then we'll wrap up. Thing. I know I'm putting you on. I don't know my third either, so, <laughs> but I'll I'll think of it. I, I, I was hoping that you would go for a little bit, so no, no, no. I'm buying you some time right now. He likes pizza. I don't know what is it. What? <laughs> He's got a sense of humor. I would say the third one. Is a- I love putting I love putting Brendan on the spot though. So yeah, this, this makes my day. Seeing Brendan squirm a little bit makes me <laughs> makes me happy. It makes me happy. It's good. It pushes- we'll go celebrate with some donuts and ramen when we're done here.
1: so oh, I like it. It pushes me in the right direction, right? It helps me think of different things.
0: Well, think about like what if there was one thing that was removed from Elon that, that would prevent him from achieving the thing he needs to achieve either if you look back if that didn't exist over the last 20 years that would have caused him issues or if you look forward over the next 20 years what does he absolutely need that would be worth calling out
1: you know, I think what's the most fascinating about Elon is there's so many things we don't know about Elon that's actually made him ridiculously successful. There's so many different things that if one thing wasn't true, because remember we named so many things: the time management piece, the fact that he was he is very clear with the principles thinking, the fact that he was super controversial, the fact that he's a great ops executive, the fact that he's a great design. He's like he could do. He's like the Leonardo da Vinci of the 21st century. He can do everything. But the one thing we didn't talk about is I. Firmly believe that Elon Musk is also the best marketing executive in the world. So he's literally first place in so many of these things. And by marketing, what I mean is, man, he's done such a great job with the Twitter and going on Joe Rogan, smoking a spliff, like doing all these smart things without spending a single dime on marketing. Stays in the news. But stays on the news every single time and gets retail investors to invest heavily into his stock so that he can raise additional capital without diluting himself. It's like so... It's so masterful to a point that like it becomes invisible to the general public. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's another piece. I, I honestly, I think, think it's a past.
0: it's a brilliant point. It's a brilliant point because people say, oh, they don't do marketing. <laughs> First of all, he is the marketing. He's in the news nonstop, and it's like constantly top of mind. Okay, my last one is he puts the customer experience above all else, especially for Tesla. And you know we know that at Tesla our mission Aside from accelerating the world's transition to sustainable energy, is also to delight the customers. And so he thinks through everything, and it's not just him. Obviously, builds teams of people that do the same thing, but everything's thought of, and he does not want like an example would be when I worked at Solar City, we would knock on people's doors to see if they wanted to go solar. You think that happens at Tesla? (laughs) No way, because that's like not a great in his mind, great customer experience, and so. He cares deeply and passionately about what the experience is like for their customers. Now, I'm not going to lie. There's some opportunities there. I'm not saying Tesla's perfect. I was an owner. I know, that, I know that there's, and I believe me, I worked at the company. So, you know, when you have a company that's still growing, still navigating, they're going to make mistakes. But if you look at the vehicle and you look at the experience you have from start to finish, what is it like to go buy a Tesla? It's not like any other buying experience out there. What is it like to get your Tesla delivered? It's not like any other car delivery out there ever, right? What is it like to drive a Tesla, unlike any other vehicle? What is it like to get your car serviced, right? Go get a cappuccino, go get, you know, all of these things collectively are there to delight the customer so that you want to keep coming back so that you become a super fan, so that you share with your friends how amazing it is to be a Tesla owner. And the way Tesla works is that it's all hands on deck during the end of the quarter and everybody's going to help with the delivery team. So I'd I'd go to the delivery hub at the end of uh, each quarter and it was grueling. But I got to see firsthand what that experience is like. I remember the last day of one quarter, we were there till like three in the morning and I was literally, I mean, it's crazy. Like three or like maybe even a little bit later than that. And I think our last customer probably left it like, it was super late, like way later than it should have been. Cause we closed at like midnight or something, but they were there until like one thirty-two. And the thing that stands out though, is that we did it all to make sure that the customers got their vehicle. And it was cool too, because living in LA, I got to see like famous musicians and actors and people come get their vehicles and they're super fans and they're super fans because of the experience. And so when you're thinking about your company, and you're thinking about what you can do to delight your customers, channel your own inner Elon and think about every part of the experience matters. Every part of the experience is going to help to create super fans for your brand, for your business, for your service, for your product. And don't compromise. Don't settle. Don't do the bare minimum. Never let your minimums become your maximum. So I want to give you final word. I feel like you're going to say something. So give us our final word and then we'll wrap up.
1: You know, I think for me, the final word on Elon is don't put him on a pedestal. I think that's the biggest mistake that most people make is when we put Elon in a pedestal, we try not to become him.
0: Mm -hmm. So you're going there. So
1: my final word is pretend Elon Musk is like your friend, as if he knew you, as if you knew them, as if you would always go to the pizza parties with them. You'd go to the pool parties like Elon was your best friend. And when you're friends with someone like Elon, you're exactly like them. They don't seem like an alien to you anymore, and when that starts to happen, your mind starts to shift, and you start to think, "I could be just like Elon." You know how insane the word would be, Billy, if we just had seven Elons—not like seven thousand, because I don't even—I Im- can't even imagine that Well, We'll have to ask Chris Dell. Hey, how do we imagine this world? Remember we gave him that, <laughs> right? Like I don't even know how to do that. I'll just leave that to geniuses like him. But just seven. Elon Musk's one in every billion because right now it's one in every seven billion he's an Elon what if we had seven more imagine how insane that would be like this is what I'm excited about this is the stuff that gets me going in my mom's basement as I'm talking to you it's not like you know going to some party being alone whatever going to club like no, no, no it's this idea this idea that if there was an Elon for each of those ideas, like imagine if Elon Musk, this is the stuff that excites me the most about What if there's two Elon Musk, one who is just working on spaces and one who is just working on Tesla, one who was just working on boring company, etc. Imagine how fast society would move. It would be crazy. And that's the future I'm excited about.
0: Well, that's what I want to talk about next is what is the future vision of Elon Musk? I agree. Don't put him on a pedestal. Don't assume you can't do the unthinkable, that you can't do the impossible, that you can't do what others are telling you is unachievable, that's a word. You can, and you need to believe that you can. Hopefully you got some value from this session. If you did, let us know, send us a note, tell us what you took away. Let us know what you liked and let us know what you want us to talk about. We're still experimenting. We're still just having conversations, talking about people that fascinate us and talking about what they've done, what insights they have, what contributions they've made, and how they've made them. And this is a great example of looking at somebody like an Elon and really understanding what about him has helped to lead to truly an astonishing level of success. So we hope you enjoyed this one. And until next time, Please do make it a great one. We'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.